This is episode number 127 with Head of Business Intelligence at Exasol, Aoife Murray. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And I just got off the call with Ifa Murray, who is uh, the head of business intelligence and the Tableau evangelist at Exasol. We had a great chat about Ifa's career and the different places it's taken her, what she's, where she's worked. You'll see how she's traveled the world and very importantly, how she broke into the space of data science from a completely non-technical background. Ifa studied commerce and psychology at university and yet now she is rocking it, completely rocking it in the space of data science and visualization and business intelligence. And also, we talked about uh, Eva's project, uh, the project that she's running with Andy Kriebel, who you might know from the podcast. He was on the show a couple of months ago. And uh, the project is called Makeover Monday. It's a visualization project where they take data sets and redo the visualizations to make them look fantastic. So very, very interesting podcast, very inspiring to uh, get up and take action and change your career. You'll find a lot of interesting uh, tips and philosophies that Eva, Eva follows in her own career, how she pursues opportunities and how she doesn't accept the status quo. She doesn't settle for anything less than what she's passionate about. So without further ado, I bring to you Aoife Murray, the head of business intelligence at Exasol. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Super Data Science Podcast. Today, I've got a special guest, Aoife Murray, calling in from Germany. Aoife, how are you going today? I'm very well. Hey, Kerry, Carol, how are you? I'm well, thank you as well. And uh, tell us which city are you calling from? I'm calling from Nuremberg, which is in Bavaria, really in the heart of Bavaria, between, like, it's just about an hour north of Munich. Oh, okay. An hour north of Munich. Yeah, so Bavaria, Bavaria is where the pretzels are, right? Yes, and we have amazing pretzels. <laughs> so good. I it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, how's the weather right now in, in Nuremberg? Well, I can't even see it because it's still dark outside, but it's about five degrees and raining, so um, quite unpleasant. I think it's going to rain pretty much all day and most of the week, but the weekend looks to be sunny. Oh, wow. So, wait, I didn't even realize this. What time is it over there? It's quarter past seven in the morning. Oh, wow. Thank you for waking up so early. I, I didn't even realize it, like, because in Brisbane, in Australia right now, it's like 4 p.m. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. No that's problem. awesome. Well, um, it, it was interesting, like everybody listened to a podcast, it was interesting when we just started chatting and I was like trying to understand where Aoife's accent is from because to me, and like Aoife confirmed this, like to a lot of people actually sound South African, but it's completely not. So Aoife, tell us a bit about your background, like how have you moved around the world? I never thought I would move around so much, but when I finished high school, 
school, so this is going back a while, in 2004. In Germany, I went to right? New Zealand. You, in, in Germany, yes, sorry. I, so I grew up here uh, an hour north of Nuremberg in a town called Bamberg, which is very, very beautiful. Um, so that's where I grew up and went to school. And then I left to go to New Zealand to do work and travel. Um, and I planned to be there for about three months and then ended up staying for eight and a half years. And I actually, <laughs> I studied in New Zealand and worked there. And then from New Zealand, I moved to Australia for three years and then back to Germany um, to kind of be closer to my family. So I was away for 11 and a half years and I moved back. Well, now it's two years ago. So in 2016 in summer. Okay, gotcha. And so that's very interesting combination that German plus New Zealand makes South African accent. Um, but but how's your German? Like, did you develop an accent in German itself? Like, when when you speak to native German speakers now, can they sense that you've been abroad for so long? Some people can, and I think it's people who have been abroad themselves and who maybe lived in an English-speaking country because they pick up. Mm. It's it's word choices. It's a little bit the melody and just the way I speak, which is probably a bit more excited than. Germans usually would speak, and it's not a criticism of them. It's just we're very much, you know, straight to the point, and there isn't too much emotion in our language, and it's just the way we work, and it's just the the nature of the language as well. Mm-hmm. Whereas in English, there's so much more. Like if you think of this movie, um, Julie and Juliet, Julia, this, there's this scene where Meryl Streep, where they the sisters meet at the train station, and they go crazy and they shriek and they're so excited. This doesn't really happen in Germany. People are still excited. <laughs> They just don't express it so openly. Um, and I think I still do. And then in German, I kind of sub- subdue it. But people can definitely notice mm. um, that I have lived yes. elsewhere, especially when I try to say, you know, can, when you use idioms and you just get them slightly wrong because they might be similar in both languages. But I use the English version and I just translate it into German. Mm-hmm. And I find that most of my friends, and also at work, I mostly speak English still, even though I live in Germany. So English still feels like my main language. And I feel it's easier to express myself in English than it is in German. Very interesting. I actually have a theory that the amount of expression in a language is proportionate to the average temperature in a country or like how cold, I'd say how cold it gets in the country where the language comes from. Because like Russia, very similar. People don't tend to be overexpressive. Whereas I, I know a lot of uh, quite a few people from Colombia and from uh, South America and, you know, like Spanish speaking countries, very, very expressive uh, in like very in, in all of their emotions. So I think it's very interesting. Would you would you agree to that or do you, do you have a different theory? I, I think you, you could be onto something there because Australia, you know, it's a very laid back country, but the weather generally is warm and even in winter you have a lot of well, where I lived in Sydney, a lot of sunny days. So there's this general, I think, just lightness in people's mood. And they just seem to be, I don't know if they're happier, but they just seem to be more relaxed and, yeah, maybe going about things in an easier way. I think the one thing that might be an exception, and people might correct me here, but in the UK, I would say, I think it's, I, I think it also has something to do with the language itself, because in English, there are all these words people use, like amazing, awesome, great, outstanding. If I were to use these words in German, it has to be seriously spectacular. <laughs> and it's not just 
you know, it's not just all this pasta sauce is amazing. It's like <laughs> Germans don't say pasta is amazing. Like it just isn't. Uh, it's it's good. and if if someone said this is really good, that is a really good compliment. You know, that no one should be offended by that. But in English, people would be like, oh, so you don't like it. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Very interesting. There we go. That's like a little excurse into cultures. And so for anybody who hasn't been to Germany, if you ever go, they expect that. And yeah, don't don't think that people are don't like your past if they don't say it's amazing. Really cool. Thank yeah. you. Thank you for sharing. And but yeah, now let's go let's go to to you, to your career. So guys, listening to a podcast, Ifa has uh, some very like interesting is doing some very interesting work in the space of data science and she's a major contributor to just just the field in general uh, through her involvement in uh, the project which is called Makeover Monday and it's a visualization and business intelligence uh, project where they re they take like visualizations and they redo them like older or poorly done visualizations and they redo them to make them look amazing and uh, using like more more newer tools, but not complex, not sophisticated tools, mostly Tableau. And then the other area where you uh, work in data science is uh, the company that you work for. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Exasol. Uh, and so I would like to talk about th both those areas and, of course, uh, your background, how you got into it. So I think maybe let's start with your career path. Like, let's talk about what you studied and... Uh, then, then how you moved on because you've worked in many different areas, including consulting and tutoring and banking and so on. And so it would be very interesting to see how your journey unfolded. What, what do you say? Sure, sure, sounds good. And I'm glad you told me where to start because I'm like, where do I actually start? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I studied in Wellington in New Zealand, and when I when I had, so I got my permanent residency, which meant I could actually afford to study because student fees are quite outrageous mm. if you are an international student. So I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I going to study? And I knew I wanted to study some sort of commerce degree because um, I've always been interested since high school in kind of economics and law and that kind of stuff. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go for a commerce degree, but I differentiate myself from others I can't just study commerce because there will be so many, you know, business students um, and I need to do something else. And they had this option to study a conjoint degree of a commerce and a bachelor in commerce and a bachelor in science. And I thought that sounds really cool because a science degree sounds really smart. But I, I never did really well in you know, physics, chemistry, math in school because, well, I thought it was just me, not I'm getting it, uh, but because I had a private tutor in maths, I realized maybe the way the teacher explained it didn't quite work because as soon as I started working with a private tutor, my marks really improved. So I thought I really want a science degree, but I'm not going to study maths or physics or chemistry. So what can I choose? And the one that was kind of least sciencey from that perspective <clears throat> in the list was psychology. And I had, when I left Germany, I had, or, or before I started studying, I thought for a brief moment about start going to med school and I actually applied in Germany and I got a spot, but I didn't take it. So my dad is a doctor, my uncle is a doctor, my grandpa was a doctor and I thought, I kind of have to keep it in the family. But doing psychology felt like, because my dad is a psychiatrist, which is, you know, um, a medical degree, but kind of, you know, looking at mental issues as well. So I thought, at least I'll keep it in the family somehow. So, okay, so I signed up for commerce and psychology and I studied that and I loved it 
I ended up changing in so in commerce I did commercial law, accounting and HR, and then I had my psychology degree. And I have to admit, accounting not my thing. I really didn't enjoy it. I kept telling myself, "Oh, this is great," so I would kind of get through it and not wake up every day thinking, "Oh my God, I'm dreading." So I'm trying to just trick myself into enjoying it. I didn't really enjoy it. It just didn't gel with me. But at the time, because I started studying in 2006, and when I finished in 2010, you know, like the, um, the global financial crisis is right in between. And I thought at least with an accounting degree, I'm, you know, I might be able to get a job somehow. Thankfully, because of accounting, I found out about the big four. Um, so big four consulting companies, including Deloitte. And that's where I started after I finished high school, uh, sorry, after I finished university, which I guess in the US they call college. Yeah, um, yeah. Not quite sure. So once, once I had completed my degree, I joined Deloitte in, as a graduate. And so I, I applied with Deloitte and I applied to join their HR consulting practice. So it's called human capital because of my psychology background. And they ended up putting me into IT consulting, which is really the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, <laughs> it was a bit scary, scary at first. And I thought, wow, I don't have an IT background. How am I going to do this? But at the same time, I thought, they're pretty good at what they do. I'm sure they've got a plan. So I'll just trust them and see where it takes me. And then I stayed with Deloitte for a little over two years. So sorry, just just to get this right. So you apply for Deloitte yeah. for accounting, but they put you into IT consulting. Oh, sorry. No, I applied for HR consulting. So oh, I HR consulting. But I just kind of went to the... The people side of the spectrum, yeah. and I ended up in the IT side, uh, which in hindsight was re I mean, it was really good for my career, but also personally, I would rather work on IT projects than on things like restructuring and layoffs, because <laughs> a lot of those, um, you know, reorganization, change management, that's all a lot more emotional yeah. um, than IT. And the way I always looked at it was my my colleagues in the you know HR consulting. They have to deal with these projects that change organizations in a way that people will be reluctant to do or they might lose their jobs. Whereas in IT, I'm going in there and I'm helping them set up new systems to make their lives easier. So usually they welcome you with open arms or at least with, you know, not so much resistance. So yeah. I felt that was, you know, it makes for a nicer day at work. Yeah, yeah, I gotcha. It's like working, for instance, at a credit collection agency right like somebody has to do that job and i totally respect people who do that but at the same time you're always dealing with unhappy people with people who are angry at you for no reason right they they should be angry at themselves or angry at the circumstances not at the person that's going up to you know like to make sure they pay their bills on time uh, but it does take an emotional toll on, on you when you're doing roles like that so i i think yeah i totally agree but i also like the whole the story, because like my mine mine went very similar. I applied to Deloitte to do accounting, but they put me into forensics, and then absolutely different, even different floor in the building. And in the forensics department, the partner was like, "Ah, oh, no, you should be in data science, which is linked to forensics." And yeah, so like it seems <laughs> it seems to to be a have like from you know from our example it seems to be like a, a thing they do at Deloitte where they really don't care where you apply they just look at your like either I don't know they do it by accident or they do it on purpose they put you in other places funny like that yes yeah, so, so I heard um, that depending on who interviews so I during the process where there's assessment center etc but then there was a partner interview and it depends a little bit on who interviews you what team you go into and I 
you know, became part of the team of this partner. And I just connected with him really well. There was this instant, you know, we just liked each other. We got on well. We, And I think that probably just made up his mind on, you know, this is where she should go. And I had a like it was really fun and I learned a lot. There was a steep learning curve, but it's it's kind of if you're like a sponge and you take everything in, you get so much out of it. Mm, okay, and like looking at your career now, I know you weren't doing um, BI or data science at Deloitte at the stage, but what are, because consulting I find is such a different uh, area as opposed to industry and like I al I'm always interested to know what a, what every what a person who worked in consulting learned and took away like what would you say is your biggest takeaway from you said spending two years in at Deloitte maybe it's like a um, interpersonal skill or maybe it's a time management skill or maybe it's a technical skill what would you say is your biggest takeaway that helps you in your role as a data scientist now I would say the biggest takeaway is to work fast and still thorough, to, to still be thorough. So going into Deloitte, I was already a pretty, you know, organized person. I was pretty good with time management. But yes, of course, is, because you're from Germany. You have you have a head start there. <laughs> exactly. It's in my DNA. Um, <laughs> no, all jokes aside, like I I went there, so so I didn't struggle to, you know, fit in the workload, but what I learned was to work really quickly. And to still pay attention to detail, um, because what I was very conscious of is you have these charge out rates, and it's not that someone actually has to say this; it's just this implicit knowledge that you're aware that everyone above you is more expensive for the client. And I still, to this day, think about this all the time. So when I deliver work and someone else has to review it, whether their time is more expensive or not, but I try to do everything I possibly can to make this like a complete piece of work and very, you know, well-reviewed and thought through before I hand it over because the worst is if someone like a senior manager has to fix your typos and their, their charge-out rate might be, you know, two or three times as much as yours. And it's like they should not be spending time on this. They should be spending time looking at maybe the logic of your argument or the content. Have we missed something? Is this strategic enough, etc. So that's from that perspective, I think, yeah, working fast and being thorough and getting really good at PowerPoint, <laughs> um, those were the skills I took away. And yeah, That's that really was cool. really good. Yeah, uh, I totally, uh, I can relate to the PowerPoint one. And actually, you can relate to both of them. But um, t tell us, it, it sounds like sounds like an impossible feat to be at the same time fast and thorough. Usually people consider it as a, you know, like you, you're good at one, you pay attention to detail, or, but you have to be slow. Or you're fast, but then you're going to miss a lot of detail. Like, what, what's the trick? How do you accomplish both at the same time? I would say it's about focus and finding, okay, this is what I have to do. I'm going to not distract myself by looking at my phone, checking the news, eating something. For the next two hours, this is what I'm going to work on. And probably also ahead of time, so maybe when you talk through with your manager what the deliverable is or your colleagues, to make it very clear who's responsible for what so that you're not second-guessing yourself or having to you know, think, oh, what if I include this as well or this as well? I think, yeah, gotcha. being able to focus and, and saying these are the five things, for example, these are the five slides I need to create to give an overview of the problem and to dive into detail around one component, and then I'm going to come to my conclusion, and then really nailing that one. And 
I'm very pedantic when it comes to formatting, and that's where the PowerPoint thing comes in. I'm, I actually read at some point that the human eye can detect whether something is off by one pixel. And so, so that's where I mean attention to detail. Things need to be spot on every time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tell, you can tell that story to our designer because like, like I, I definitely have that. that I, my eye can detect things that are off by one pixel and it really, <laughs> it really um, throws them off. You know, like when they deliver a picture and there's like one pixel wrong, it, like, it really gets to me. But yeah, yeah, gotcha. Okay, and so then what happened after two years at Deloitte, New Zealand? You made your way to uh, the motherland, Australia. <laughs> no offense to anybody in New Zealand, just, <laughs> just sounds funny. Um, yeah, you went. You went to Australia. I did. Yes, so I moved to Sydney, and what I wanted to do was, you know, find kind of. So this is at the time with my my husband at the time. So we said we want to find some new opportunities and in New Zealand we lived in Wellington so Wellington is the capital and the only kind of bigger place in terms of careers would be Auckland and we didn't really want to live in Auckland we considered it but we're like well it's a little bit more of the same and maybe we'll just make a bigger move to Australia we get better weather the income will be better <laughs> and also there will just be more job opportunities plus it's a little bit closer to Germany so I can visit my family yeah. Um, you know, but easier, more more connections and all of that. So we moved to Sydney and um, that was pretty much four years ago. So 2013 in um, April um, by the time I got there and I decided that I wanted to join um, an organization in the industry rather than in consulting. And I looked at banking because I knew there was going to be a lot of opportunities out there and the money wasn't going to be bad. And Yes, it's not all about the money, but Australia is an expensive country, so you need to earn a certain amount if you want to live in Sydney. And of course, at some point in your life, you want to save some money and maybe buy property or invest or yeah. something. So, and, and also, after working as a consultant for two years, I, I can totally appreciate, you know, like you are putting in hours and hours of work, staying up late. You're getting paid like very, like very moderate. Uh, remuneration and at the same time you're burning out like you you feel that like I totally understand how you'd be like oh maybe maybe consulting is not my first choice right now maybe I want something more kind of cruisy where I can just do what I enjoy without having all that stress all the time yeah and I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to earn more money or um, being paid what you feel you're worth so uh, from that perspective, Australia worked out really well and I found a job really quickly. So I had to wait for my visa situation to be cleared up. But as soon as I applied, like through, so I applied on a Thursday while I was still in New Zealand. Then on a Monday, I got a call about an interview. And on Tuesday, I had the interview, which worked out really well because on the Wednesday, I flew to Germany for, you know, one last holiday before things got serious. So it worked really quickly. And that's where management consulting came in and was really beneficial because what my manager told me afterwards was that when he interviewed me, the, the management consulting part of my CV was really interesting for him because he said, I want someone with those skills uh, to take the team kind of you know, to the next level. Uh, so being at Deloitte, of course, it opens doors because people can expect a certain level of quality from your work, a certain attitude and work ethic. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, after, after the big four, especially like one or two years, so it's not not complex to find a job. 
completely agree. Yeah. Okay, and so what did you do at Commonwealth Bank? By the way, guys, uh, Commonwealth Bank is the largest uh, bank in Australia. In Australia, we have also kind of like the big four consulting firms worldwide. There's the big four banks in Australia, Commonwealth Bank, uh, NAB, ANZ, uh, Westpac. Westpac is the last one. Yes, um, yeah. So yeah, there's four banks. Uh, Commonwealth Bank is by far the largest bank, and hence, well, can, you can kind of tell from the na name, Commonwealth Bank of Australia. Yeah. So, what, what did you do at Commonwealth Bank? So my intention was to get a business analyst role, and I joined a finance team. So that because the bank is so large, they're split up into various segments, and our segment was um, business and private banking, and within that segment that was a finance team and within that finance team we had an MIS team so this is kind of pre-analytics or beyond uh, it was called MIS so management information systems and I joined them as a business analyst and I was probably no not not just probably I was the least technical person in that team because everyone else was um, more of a you know they they were writing code and more on the programming and um, SQL side whereas I came from a management consulting background, and yes, at Deloitte, I had, at the very end, used uh, ClickView, which was still called at the time, so uh, I had done training on that. But I, like you mentioned, I didn't really do analytics there or BI. It was more business analyst roles in different projects, and sometimes it involved analysis in Excel. But uh, joining the bank, I was then in a team that was a lot more of what I wanted to do, looking at um, data analysis but not having the heavy techie background, which can be challenging because when you're new in a team and you have a very different skill set from everyone else, it's a bit harder maybe for the team to come together or for them to accept you or maybe accept you is fine, but they might not respect you as much or they might question your role. But mm -hmm. it worked out okay because I – so my first – task was to evaluate what BI tool we should be using for this finance team because at that point it was all analysis done in Excel and then reporting done in PowerPoint for these kind of management meetings and we wanted to move to something that's more automated, that's interactive so yeah and that's where my data analytics journey really started because the options I was given in terms of tools that were already existing at CBA was you can either use Oracle Business Intelligence, or OBIE, or you can use Tableau. And it was very um, clear very soon that Tableau would be the choice because Oracle BI, like that was just not an option for our <laughs> team because none of us had the skills um, to use it and we didn't want to have to you know, train everyone so heavily and Tableau just seemed like a much better option in terms of the business users as well. Okay, all right, yeah, and so... Did it take a long time to implement Tableau? Because, like an organization that that big would would uh, require quite a would have a lot of momentum with the old tools. How did you go about that? <laughs> yeah, good question. I at the beginning it was just me using Tableau and creating some reports to test out. You know, how would this look? How can we use it? But because we were so stuck in BAU land, it never really took off. So. I built a couple of business cases and I talked to the CFO and all these things and we showed it and everyone got excited, but there wasn't really the last push. And I think, you know, if one person in one team says, you know, this is what we should be using, maybe that's not enough. So 
I'm not quite sure where they're at right now because I know there's a lot of Tableau use in the organization. I'm not sure about this particular department. So because I left before it got to that point because okay. I'm also the most patient person. And at some point I just realized we're not getting anywhere. I really enjoyed working using the products and using Tableau and I enjoyed being part of the community and I thought I want a job where I can do this all day every day I don't want to constantly justify why we should be using it I just want to use it at that point I had decided I wanted to go back to Germany and so I thought okay I've got 12 months left roughly to make a difference for my career and to find a job where I can you know just have another go at this Tableau thing and at that time, I went to the Tableau conference in Melbourne and I met some folks from a company called Trident. And while they were initially hoping to get us as a customer at Commonwealth Bank, uh, that discussion quickly turned into a job interview. Mm-hmm. And a month later, I joined them to be kind of helping them build their Tableau practice because I was so passionate about it, but also to become, so to become a Tableau consultant as well as a Tableau trainer. So they sent me through... I think five different training courses for you know across the board. So I did um, Tableau Server and Tableau Desktop, trained the trainer, became a certified trainer for both of them, and yeah, went to customers and helped them with their Tableau environments, which was really fun. That's so cool. I, I really admire that uh, philosophy of no compromise. The whole concept that you left Commonwealth Bank because. They, they were taking, and, and as you say, you're, you're a patient person, but they were taking too long and you didn't see any potential or any future in them adopting Tableau and you being able to do what you want. So in order to be able to do what you want, you're like, you know, screw this. I'm going to go find a job where I can do what I'm passionate about. That That is very cool. And I hope those listening to a podcast can take note of that because ultimately, you have one life to live, right? You got to be doing what you love, what you're passionate about, not making compromises. And if your uh, company is not willing to adopt uh, the tools or follow up, or follow on their promises, or or whatever the case may be, there's always other places out there where you can just move on to. So yeah, that that's really cool. Now I think it's a good time, a point at this uh, of this podcast to mention what is Tableau. Like there, there probably are lots of people listening to a podcast who have never used Tableau or maybe even heard of it. Can you give us a brief description in, I don't know, maybe 10 sentences or so, what, what Tableau is and what it's used for? Sure. So Tableau is a data visualization and analytics tool. It's software that you can use to just very quickly and easily visualize data um, by connecting to different data sources and you just you know throw the data into some charts and see where you can spot some trends, some outliers, etc. And that was the first time I'm, I had used Click in the past, but it wasn't that easy at the time. And then when I moved to, use, started using Tableau, I'm like, wow, this is really easy and I can see something and I can work with this data. Um, and what makes Tableau unique, in my view, is the community around it and this community that exists online, but also in the real world, that where people are so passionate, you know, they have user groups where people meet in the evening to visualize data and analyze data. And it's just, it's a very geeky thing, but it's really cool because they all genuinely care and they want to make sure that there's a better understanding of data, that people get it and that they can tell better data stories because there's so much stuff in the news where things are misconstrued and, you know, misrepresented 
by using data visualizations that it's really important that we change that and help people make sense of data much more easily. Gotcha, gotcha. And a great, great description. I'm just going to add to that that a Tableau is a, a drag-and-drop tool, so it's like super simple to use. In fact, when people ask me, like, how do you start into data science, I often say, it always depends on the person, of course, and the circumstances and the things that you're interested in, what you're good at, what your background is, I guess. Uh, but one of the easiest ways to start into data science is through visualization and specifically through Tableau because Tableau is like a super powerful tool which is super easy to use. It's like if you were able to drive a race car but it was as easy as uh, you know riding a bicycle or something like that. And you just jump into it and off you go and you can come up with the most amazing insights from the most uh, sophisticated data sets within minutes and it can really show you the power of data. It's like that, that type of data science or data analytics, I call it uh, data mining or um, yeah, just, just exploring data in a visual way rather than going straight to applying algorithms and machine learning or uh, other things like that. But um, yeah, so Tableau is a great place to start into data science in general. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, and so uh, we'll get back to Tableau and your other passion in a second, but let's just, let's just finish up on, on your career. So you worked at Trident for a year, and then on your LinkedIn, I see this entry, which is amazing. You were a triathlete, a traveler, and a Europe explorer for three months. How, how cool is that? that? That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, when I left Australia, I decided I need a good break. I want to do a few things before I start my new job. And I had my new job lined up um, before I left Australia. So in, in February last, sorry, February 2016, I signed a contract with Exosol. I met them actually at the Tableau conference in Las Vegas two years ago, so in 2015 in October. And I was super excited to start, but I said, you know, I, I just want a bit of a break. So I'm, I made my um, starting date about three months from 10 weeks, I think it was from when I left Australia and after Australia. So we moved to Germany and the first step was let's go on a holiday and went to France for three weeks. And I had signed up for this race called Challenge Roth, which is one of the most popular triathlons, long distance triathlons in the world. And it's just around the corner from here, from Nuremberg. And I was doing it as a relay team with a friend. So I was doing the swim and the bike and my friend was doing the run. So it's a 3.8 kilometer swim and a 180 kilometer bike and then a marathon. So to train for this, I went to so, France, sorry, southern France. 180 yeah. kilometer bike ride. Yes, it's a bit long. Yeah. That's like that was like 10 hours on the bicycle. Um, no, so it ended up taking me six hours twenty. That's crazy. That's uh, crazy. Yeah, so um, big challenge, but I've always wanted to say, I've, I've watched this marathon, uh, this triathlon, I watched it when I was 14, and that day I'm like, I, I really want to do this, but I don't even know how, and I'm too young, and blah, 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 and I kind of forgot about triathlon until, funnily enough, I worked at Commonwealth Bank, my manager said, why don't you do a triathlon, he had just finished one, and I thought, why do I have so much doubt in myself, he has no doubt that I can do it, so why don't I do it? And I started getting into triathlon, did a lot of short races. And then this was the first kind of long distance attempt, but, you know, not, not the running because marathon running at me is just not going to work. So I went to Southern France and I trained for three weeks and it was glorious. And I was 
I think on average I was on my bike four to five hours a day and I loved it because I could eat so much food and when you're in France, eating is what you want to be doing. So um, came back and then I still had a few, so I had um, the race a few weeks later and I had some birthdays to go to and family to visit and that's kind of this, you know, exploring Europe, traveling around, just racing and training, which I loved and eating a lot, enjoying German summer. And then in August in 2016, I joined Exosol as, um, at the time, as their Tableau evangelist. Mm-hmm. And that was my role for a year. And then since August 2017, um, I'm also head of BI at Exosol. Wow, congratulations. That sounds like a very big role there. Big step for you. That's awesome. Thank you. That, that's so cool. Tableau evangelist. Wow, that's, that's an actual title. That's... Uh, so you tell us tell us a bit more about that. Did they want to implement Tableau, or did they already have Tableau? Uh, where did this name come from, Agilist, and what does uh, what did your role constitute, and what what does your new role, head of BI, constitute? Yeah. So so when I joined them, so this goes back to well, I met I met Exasol at the Tableau conference in Vegas uh, two years ago, and I just got on really well with Aaron, our CEO, and at the time, so. Exasol is a is a database company, okay. Uh, for analytical databases, and uh, so it's a software company here from Nuremberg in Germany. That's where they started. At the time, I didn't quite know what they were doing when I first met them, but then when I was in Germany for a Christmas break and before we had moved over, I sat down with Aaron and I caught up with him just for a chat. And and you know he kind of laid out his vision for me of this role as a Tableau evangelist and what he wants to do with Tableau, uh, because the tools work so well together. So Exasol as a data source, which is lightning fast, being the fastest in memory and a database in the world. And then Tableau as the tool to visualize that data, because when you have massive data volumes, which we have more and more of these days, right? We, we gather more data and then we also bring in additional data sources. So you have these you know, massive data sets, and you want to visualize them, but at some point you have to stop working with extracts because it just gets too large and too cumbersome. And with a tool like Tableau, where it's, like you said, so easy to drag and drop and to bring in, you know, to create different visualizations of the data, to understand, to mine your data, to get an idea of trends and outliers, um, you want to work really quickly because the tool allows you to do so. It allows you to drag and drop and just, like Tableau always say, analyze at the speed of thought. So as your mind goes, you drag and drop and you bring in things. What we enable people to do is to do exactly that, regardless of how large their data is, because with the engine we've built, there's all this power behind it. So you don't get the spinner, you don't have to wait for something to load and refresh. It's just instant because you know we've built a really powerful engine for your analytics. And the two together what Exasol had was, you know, this this great connection to the tool, and on the on a technical level, it all worked really well. But there wasn't yet the connection to the Tableau community, and I had that connection, but I, you know, wasn't yet at Exasol. So I joined them, and the role as Tableau evangelist was really to help bring our product to the Tableau community and help more people get access to it. And this is not just as you know paying customers, which of course is always a nice thing, and we're all in business to make money, but also to just see how can we help the Tableau community and how can they help us improve our product. And one of the first initiatives that I um, became involved in or that I started with my colleague 
was to set up this demo environment where we would load public data sets and we would make them available to the Tableau community so they can play with large data we hosted and we get feedback that way. We can look at how they look using our database. We get a better understanding of what people do with it, but also people get a chance to play with something they normally don't have access to unless their company buys it. Mm-hmm. It's just been really fun, and um, I've enjoyed bringing you know kind of more of the Tableau community and some of those ideas back to Excel, but also being able to take things outward. So most recently, just before Christmas, we released another one of those data sets. And for anyone who's familiar with the Tableau conference and this Ironviz competition, which is basically build an, a, a really impressive data visualization as fast as you can, well, within 20 minutes on stage, comp- three people competing and, you know, thousands watching you live. At this last, the, the most recent competition at the Tableau conference, they had a data set by a company called Zillow Group in the US, which is a real estate platform. And we've just released that data on our demo environment so that people can access it and build those same visualizations if they're interested. And it's those kind of things I, you know, I get involved in. But also, as a Tableau evangelist, I'm about organizing the events. So not from a marketing perspective, but more, okay, we're going to go to the Tableau conference. What are we going to do? Who, are, you know, who do we want to talk to? What are we going to present, etc.? So I try to use my um, knowledge of the community to make sure that our presence there is, you know, sensible and um, it has an impact, but also kind of understanding what people would like so that we have cool T-shirts or other swag to give away because people love that stuff. But also on a customer side, I often speak to customers who use Exosol and Tableau to look at best practices and how they can get more out of those two tools together. And that's I think what I see as the core of my role, getting more out of the combination of Excel and Tableau, whether that's for people in the community, general users or customers or, you know, our partners as well, and then doing webinars and presentations. And it's so it's kind of like a bit of a, a public, it's, it's a very public role, but yeah, public speaking it has so many different aspects to it. And I think that's what I love about it because there's so much variety. I never get bored ever. That's fantastic, and uh, I just want—I just want to uh, point out to everyone what a what a crazy coincidence, right? That you met at the Tableau conference. You met somebody who's from a town from Nuremberg, which is like a, an hour away from your hometown, and is is doing is exactly looking for the skills that uh, you know which you're passionate about, Tableau skills, and totally true. And I think you have to put stuff out there and it's not I mean I went to the conference knowing I would move to Germany so I was definitely looking for job opportunities but it's not like I had this in mind I thought at the time I would go to Germany and I will be a Tableau consultant because that's what I've been doing I've got the training to be a Tableau trainer and I'll just continue to do that because yep I'm gonna be okay at it so um, and that was still the plan when I was in Vegas and talking to companies. And then this came up and I'm like, whoa, I don't know how it's going to work out, but it sounds fascinating. And I'm I'm just going to do it because it sounds amazing. Fantastic. And yeah, so conferences, like I, we've mentioned previously, like previously on uh, the show um, on Super Data Science Podcast, I've mentioned that conferences are important, guys. If you go, go out there, find a conference like Tableau Conference, any conference. You never know who you'll meet. Like in in uh, Eva's example, uh, that's that's she met a person that um, 
hired her to do a job that she loves. So amazing, amazing story. And oh, and also you mentioned before the podcast that Exasol is expanding to the US and they might be looking for people to join the team. Tell us a bit more about that. We, there might be people who are interested in opportunities listening to the show. Yeah, absolutely. So we have our headquarters in Nuremberg, an office in London, an office in Paris, Berlin and Hanover. But we're going to move to the US this year. So we're currently in the planning phase of, you know, where's the exact location going to be for physical presence. But also we are always looking for people who are interested and, um, and keen and motivated, but also just passionate about data, data science and analytics. So what we probably would be looking for is people, I mean, definitely on the sales side, but also in pre-sales. And that is a technical role, um, for those who don't know, a technical role to support the sales team and to do things like building proofs of concept and helping customers or potential customers to see what can they do with our product and helping them through this you know, purchasing process because a lot of companies, or most companies, before they make a purchase um, of systems and, and tools and technologies, is they have to evaluate. And as part of that, they want to see what can you do with our data? So we show them. And so we have, you know, these pre-sales roles. And in general at XSL, we are very open to finding the right people and then finding the role that fits them. It's not that we have a list of, you know, these are the roles and you have to fit exactly into them. If someone comes who is passionate and wants to do things and is excited to work for a company where there's a lot of opportunity and you can bring everything you've got and you're going to get a lot out of it, we will have a role that fits. So people from a data science background and ideally, you know, with, with the kind of programming language experience, Python, Java, Lua, those kind of things, that is gold. And um, if you're experienced with, you know, databases, database design, having a computer science background, but also having a different background and working your way into it, it's not so much about where did you study, it's more what can you do now and I would definitely encourage people to get in touch with us if they are interested in those opportunities, but also to just kind of watch and follow what happens because as things, you know, become available or as, as we're moving to the US, of course, we'll announce that. So, but definitely if you're in the field and you're excited uh, to work for a company who is perceived to be small but has a big impact with our customers and making, you know, their lives making a difference in their lives at work, then definitely talk to us. Fantastic. I like how you very um, cunningly said, uh, wait and see what happens. We have some surprises in store for you. So yeah, um, guys, uh, sounds like sounds like really cool opportunity. Um, by the way, I'm, I'm assuming you need people skills to work in pre-sales or pre-sales. Is that is that correct? Like being able to present and communicate with potential customers? It definitely helps. So I think someone who has, and, and that's where that kind of consulting background comes in as well or comes in handy, in pre-sales, you are going to be in front of customers and you're going to, you know, work alongside them on their premises. You know, it might be remote as well, but imagine yourself going to the office and setting up a system, loading some data into it, trying things out, tweaking things and getting them right. Um, so it's definitely not a hidden away in the cupboard kind of role. It's really, it's out there, it's presenting to them, it's showing them the results, but also maybe facilitating some uh, discussion through 
video conferencing, etc. So it definitely helps if you are happy to do that. And if you need some help to improve those skills, that's perfectly fine. Um, I think attitude is very, very important. And then the technical stuff can be taught. Um, but also we have existing customers. We have a number of customers in the US and supporting them. So it might not always be you know, finding new ones, but also supporting existing customers with their deployments. And um, maybe they need some assistance adding connections to something else or um, doing some upgrades, etc. And being there for them will be really cool. And they're spread out across the US. So um, yeah, wherever you are, do do follow us and do let us know. Awesome, awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. And uh, okay, so like we wrapped up on your career. I'm really glad we went through this. Uh, and now in the remainder of this podcast, let's jump to your uh, other passion, your um, Makeover Monday blog. So tell us about Makeover Monday. Uh, what is it all about and what, what do you do there? Yeah, so Makeover Monday is a social data project. And what that means is it's all virtual. It's all happening online. And um, I run this project together with Andy Kriebel, and he was previously on the podcast. I think it came out in November sometime, or, or maybe December. And what we do is we gather data sets and visualizations from, from the wild, let's say. So we find them somewhere online, maybe in the news or in the newspaper, newspaper websites. And we publish every week a visualization that we think is in need of a makeover, or sometimes they're really good, but we just find the topic fascinating and we want to see what people do with the data. So we publish a visualization, we publish a data set, and we encourage the community to improve the existing chart and then to show us what they've done. So at the moment, a lot of that conversation happens on Twitter because it's a very easy to use platform. A lot of people are connected and it's very public so people can join us very easily. And so we publish this data and it's called Makeover Monday, but we actually start on a Sunday because some people you know, need to do it on the weekend because they don't have time during the week or they can't do it, do it during working hours. So we publish the data on a Sunday and this visualization, and it usually comes with some kind of article. So it might be a BBC or a CNN article with a chart in it. And we're like, you know, here we go. Do, you know, create a better data story. And then people create a, a visualization and they can use any tool. Typically, most people currently use um, Tableau, but that's because Andy and I are so embedded in the Tableau community, so that's kind of our reach. But especially this year, we're encouraging and, and being very active with other tools as well and saying, you know, join us. Let's not kind of have all our individual projects. Let's just all come together because we can learn from each other. And I'm fascinated to see how people do things using other tools like Power BI, MicroStrategy, Yellowfin, or even you know D3, Excel, whatever they want to use. And if they want to draw it by hand, that's fine too. So people use their tool, they create a visualization and a bit of a data story around it, depending on their skills, but also what they're interested in. And then they publish it. So they submit a picture on Twitter and ideally a link to this an interactive version. So for Tableau, they publish it to Tableau Public. For MicroStrategy, they can publish it to the um, gallery as you know same with power bi i think it's also it's called um data gallery i believe and so you know that then there's all these visualizations and andy and i we look at every single submission we can't always you know provide feedback or even a comment because there are hundreds every week 
But we've set up this um, this feedback system where we now run live webinars once a week. And if people include a special hashtag called MMVizReview, so M-M-V-I-Z, and then review, um, we know people want feedback. So during these webinars, we typically do them on a Wednesday at 4 p.m. GMT. Uh, we go through all of the visualizations that have this hashtag and provide our feedback. So we look at them, and it's usually about a couple of minutes per visualization that we have time for. And then we tell people what we think in terms of, you know, design, strength of their story or their argument, and whether, you know, what other feedback we have for them. And then, ideally, and this happens most commonly, people iterate on their work because they want to improve. People participate in Make of a Monday because it lets them practice doing a data analysis and practicing visualizations and storytelling. Um, every week on a regular basis with a data set they're not familiar with because we pick something and it's very random. I mean, it could be it could be anything. And at work, people always, you know, kind of use the same data, but this is a chance for them to practice their visualization skills and analysis skills with something fresh and new. And then they iterate and they improve. And then, you know, kind of the week comes to a close because it's a weekly project. Yes, there is no deadline, but most people do the submissions in the week that we publish because then the new data set comes out. We also write a, a, a recap blog at the end of the week to kind of summarize what worked well this week and what people you know, might want to think about improving in the future because typically we see a few trends of what people, you know, kind of mistakes they make and it's not a problem. We all learn and we get better and we just want to help teach them. So we do this recap blog and then the next week, starts already so it's been a bit of a crazy year for me the last year because uh, just before Christmas 2016 Andy asked me whether I wanted to join him in doing this project after his previous project partner Andy Cotgrave from Tableau decided to not continue so I've done it for a year now and been a lot more work than I expected but that's because I, I come up there with these ideas and then it introduces more work so but it's been absolutely fun and it gave us an opportunity to also do a bit of travel and go to different places running these live events where we actually get people in a room and for 90 minutes we get together, we do a little presentation about Makeup Monday and why we think people should participate. And then for 60 minutes, people visualize data. And at the end, people who want to volunteer to present and we see what they've built and it's really, really cool, and it's been really fun, and we've gone through, you know, to various places in Europe. We're probably not going to do as much travel for it this year because we also have day, day jobs, but it was really, really nice to connect with the online community, meet people in person, and grow this project. And for this year, we have a few other fun things planned um, that, are gonna, that we're hopefully going to roll out over time. That's amazing. That, that that is such a great thing. And also, is my understanding correct that it's absolutely free to for people to participate in this? Absolutely. So we don't charge. Um, and it's funny because I met at an event in Germany. I met someone um, who was, you know, one of these live events, and I told him about the webinars we do and the review we provide. And he's like, "Okay, so how much does it cost to do the webinar?" I'm like, "What do you mean? How much does it cost?" He's like, "Oh." But don't you charge for your time? And we're like, uh, no, we just we just really enjoy doing it. So, you know, yes, we do this in our spare time, but we really like it. So it's free. It's completely free. And, uh, of course, there are limitations because 
we don't get paid for it. There's only so much time we can allocate because we also have, you know, kind of private lives. But we try to really the people who want feedback and who clearly indicate that we try to give them feedback as much as we can. But also we're not we're not the authority. We're just the people running the project. We we're both very normal human beings and there are so many other knowledgeable people in the community and what we really like is that we have so many now who support us in giving feedback and that can be on Twitter but also data.world which is the new platform we're using to share the data. A lot of the conversation is now um, we're encouraging people to have a conversation there as well about it and to and you know because it's a bit more of a data focused platform rather than Twitter which is very much about kind of quick messaging but on data.world, we want to invite everyone who participates to discuss there what they did with the data, how they analyze, and et cetera. So um, everyone can give feedback. It's not just us. Mm. Uh, that, that's, that's really cool. And uh, how many people do you get on average on the webinar attending? So on, the, on these Viz Review webinars, we get between, I would say, 20 and 50 a week who dial in live and then other people watch it on demand because... I'm afraid to say it's not the best time zone for Asia Pacific because it's 4 p.m. GMT. But most of our community is European and U.S. based. So this is the time that most of those people are live. But we've offered to, you know, people for example, New Zealand, if they want us to do it at a different time. Um, at some point, you know, maybe once a month or something, we can do it in the mornings, uh, which will be easier for you guys. We just need to know because you know, we don't necessarily know who's participating because not everyone publishes or or yeah. publish. They might publish, but not, might not tweet about it. So unless unless we're told, we're just going to assume that the four p.m. time slot is fine. So it's morning time in the U.S. Yeah. So it's it starts well. It's about eight a.m. West Coast, but for the East Coast, you know, it's later in the morning. Europe is in the afternoon. Um, so we, that way, we're able to cover most people. Nice. Very nice. And also, uh, like a common problem, uh, common challenge for data scientists is finding data sets to work with, to practice with. Do you provide the data sets as well on your website? We do. So because it's been running now for two years as a proper you know, project, um, there's 105 data sets now, so including this week, that people can use and they can look at their existing visualizations the originals, but also the makeovers. So if you go to makeovermonday.co.uk, you find under data, you find all the previous data sets if you want to practice something with different data sets. Uh, we actually, um, I think three or four times now, have used Exosol as a data, data source because that way we can help people do something other than using Excel as a spreadsheet um, data source, but also, you know, why not use a live connection? Why not use a massive data set? So we had anything between, I think, 105 million records and 700 million records. And it's just a different challenge. And we want people to have those experiences and to diversify their skills. That's that's so fantastic. And thank you so much. It's, it's always inspiring to see people giving back to the community and inspiring others to take up data science and help them through along the journey I think it's very admirable and I uh, you know I wish for this story to encourage more people to do that to start blogs or to help others out even just by answering simple questions on how to better understand how to use certain tools and, and things like that I think this is a great thing so everybody 
uh, listening. Uh, it, if you're interested in Tableau visualizations, definitely check out makeovermonday.co.uk. It's not .com, .co.uk. Uh, but even if you're not into visualization, uh, you can find some great data sets there, or you might get into visualization through that website. I, I had a look uh, just uh, recently, and uh, there's some interesting ones. That, that, that one on the Christmas trees, that was, that was pretty funny, I, I found. Yeah, I'd love to invite more people to join this project. So anyone who's listening who's curious to check it out, regardless of what tool you're using, just join us and show us what you can do because a lot of people, especially in the Tableau community, don't necessarily come from an analytics or data science background. So getting more diversity by having people with a data science background who will look at data sets differently than you know someone with, a let's say, a business background um, will be fascinating. And we think that every submission is a contribution and makes a difference to the community. Yeah, totally agree. And to wrap up this podcast, I wanted to ask you a question that like, I'm really interested to get your opinion on. What, like, you've done lots of different things in, in this space of BI, data science, analytics, visualization, uh, and you've even done like, uh, you know, in different co- companies, you've done uh, work where you're giving back to the community for free with Makeover Monday and uh, even these meetups that you do, what would you say is your one most favorite thing about being in this field of data science? What what drives you the most? What excites you the most? What's your favorite thing? My favorite thing is that people are smart and passionate. And that's what I've found wherever I work. So when I was working at Trident, they really genuinely cared about their customer and making them successful and helping them get so much out of their data to drive their businesses. But also now at Exasol, where you know I, I talk to the developers who have created our product and like they really genuinely care and they are passionate about you know what, whatever it is, whatever component it is they're building for this database, and they want the customers to be successful and to have the best tool in their hands. And then, like I said, most people. They're really clever, the the ones you work with, and they they understand data. And if they don't, they want to understand data. But they just yeah, they're just trying to do something really good. And there are I I haven't really met many people who are kind of resigned to their fate. Uh, most people understand that whatever they want to do, they can make it happen. Because it's in their hand, you know. They're, they're smart, they're well trained, um, they're educated, and they just—I don't know—they just—they just make stuff happen, and they're—they're they're curious, and they don't just believe stuff that's put in front of them. So when you, you know, these days when you watch TV, there's so much bad stuff on TV, and it's just so such low quality. Where you think, really, people believe this stuff, but people do. I mean, you know, you—you you can kind of tell when you look at certain countries in the world and their presidents, you're like, how did this happen? Um, but then my hope is always there are clever people out there who question everything and who like who are not just satisfied being served up an answer to something or some idea. They're like, no, 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 I'm going to question this. I'm going to find out for myself. And if this is not right, then I'm going to try to correct it. Or at least I can offer my opinion or my analysis to make this, you know, a complete picture and the right picture. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So that's a great answer. I don't think I've heard that one before. That you you love working with you love the people that are attracted by this field. It's amazing. Totally, totally agree with that. Well, thank you so much, Eva, for coming on the show. I it's been it's been a pleasure to hear your story and where you, the your journey has taken you. 
for our listeners who would like to get in touch or follow your career or maybe uh, follow your company uh, where, as you said, to see where, where everything is going uh, in the space of Exasol or maybe Makeover Monday, could you share a couple of uh, links and best places to, to find you and these projects? Sure. So, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn and Eva Murray. What I would ask is that if people connect on LinkedIn to just send me even just a one-liner saying they've, you know, maybe listen to this podcast or something because I don't mind accepting invitations from people I don't know, but I kind of just want to understand where they're coming from. Uh, so that would be great. Alternatively, you can find me on Twitter. So it's try my data, T-R-I-M-Y data. Um, but also same name as the website. So dot, 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 sorry, www.trymydata.com is my blog. And that's where I post about Makeup a Monday and kind of life stuff and career ideas and advice. And um, yeah, so that's the easiest way. Um, there's also, of course, if you are interested in those opportunities I mentioned for the US, um, keep an eye out on the Exasol website. So it's exasol.com, E-X-A-S-O-L. And that's probably the easiest way to get in touch. Awesome. And of course, don't forget the guys, don't forget the makeovermonday.co.uk blog. That's um, absolutely. That's also. Uh, do you guys have a Twitter for Makeover Monday? Um, no. So we do it from our personal account. Okay. So it's my account, Andy's account. Yeah. Okay. But the hashtag Makeover Monday, you will find data visualizations, and that's the easiest way to get across it. Okay, gotcha. Uh, awesome. And I have one uh, final question for you. What's uh, a book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners to help them in their careers? Okay, um, good question. I So I want to make two suggestions. So one would be the books by Stephen Few, for example, Show Me the Numbers, which is about designing tables and graphs to enlighten. Um, but also one that isn't out yet because it's still being written is um, a book that Andy and I are going to write about Makeover Monday, but not just about the project, but more so the lessons learned in the community. So this is a project for us for the next six months to work on. Wow. And to... Yeah, so yeah, we're in discussions with um, the publishers at the moment, and we are writing that tells the story of the project, but also a lot of those lessons learned. So this is about analysis skills, design skills, story stuff, storytelling skills, as well as getting together communities of people to you know kind of teach each other, to learn from each other, and to build this data knowledge and understanding of data in our organisations and our communities. That's so cool. Do, do you guys have a name for it Like uh, yet? Have you settled on a name? Not fully. So I think for now the working title will be kind of Makeup a Monday, the book, uh, and then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Gotcha, gotcha. Wow, that's so exciting. That's, that's very cool. Um, yeah, so guys, look, look out for that book. So the first one was Stephen Few, Show Me the Numbers and Other Books by Stephen Few. And also so Andy Kriebel and uh, Aoife. So Aoife Mori, if you guys... Uh, like whenever it's published, make sure to get your hands on it. It sounds like it's going to be something super exciting. I'll definitely get a copy. Yeah, so I guess follow Aoife on Twitter and you'll know when it's published. Definitely, yes. We'll, we'll let you know. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much, Aoife, for coming on the show. It was a great chat and I'm sure a lot of people got a lot of value out of this. And uh, yeah, amazing to hear your story. And 
please continue doing what you're doing and sharing with the community there i'm i'm 100 certain there's so many people that whose lives you already changed through that work thank you so much thank you for having me it was a pleasure all right there we have it that was Eva Mare from uh, the head of uh, business intelligence and Tableau Evangelist at Exasol, and also uh, the co-creator, uh, co-author at makeovermonday.co.uk. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and there were definitely lots and lots of insights here. What was my personal best takeaway from here? Very, very interesting. So I got, I got a couple that I wrote down as we were going. Uh, I'll probably mention the top two. One was the fearlessness. I loved the whole notion that Eva, if I didn't have that much technical background going into uh, the job at Commonwealth Bank and yet she stood up to the challenge and took on this career shift into the space of data science and of course there were some things that uh, that were outside her comfort zone she was getting into a team where there were lots of technical people who knew uh, a lot about data science already and she was just uh, starting into that space and yet she did that and was completely fearless and completely came, stood up to the challenge and made it happen, made it all happen at Commonwealth Bank uh, where she was um, introducing, implementing things in Tableau. And uh, also the other thing that I really liked, in addition of, to, of course to everything else that, that we mentioned including the um, contribution back to the community, but the one thing that I, I liked quite a lot was the no compromise philosophy that when Aoife realized that there were, they, you cannot, right, at that time, you could not see like an opportunity, she could not see opportunity to apply her skills or pursue her passion of exploring Tableau at Commonwealth Bank, she just left that job and she got a new job. And it's as simple as that. If you are not, if you are not able to do what you're passionate about at your job, then you maybe it's time to consider what else is out there where else can you go to find the find what you're passionate about to pursue what you're passionate about there's so many opportunities now and as we also discussed in this podcast employers don't really like good employers the ones that you want to be with they're not just hiring people for their skills they're hiring people for their passion and if you have a passion for something then there's somebody out there who has an opportunity for you in order to be able to pursue that passion. So there you go. Uh, that is a very, very powerful philosophy that Aoife follows. And uh, if you just put that in the default of everything you do, like as the foundation of everything do, you do, then you're just going to always only do things that you're passionate about. How cool is that? There we go. That was Ifa Mari. Make sure to follow Ifa on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find all of the links mentioned, there were quite a lot of links. A lot of the links mentioned on this podcast, uh, you can find them at www.superdatascience.com slash 127. There you can also find the transcript for this episode and any other resources we talked about. Yeah, hit up uh, IFA, follow Exasol, see what's happening. They're coming to the US. If uh, you're uh, open to new opportunities, this might be something that you could be interested in. And on that note, thank you so much for being here today and sharing this hour with us. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more conversations like this about data science, then make sure to subscribe to the show. 
Uh, you can do it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, uh, TuneIn, and any other platform where you might be listening to this episode right now. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>